The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. everybody. Welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I am the baby boomer. And I'm Jason Canander, site expert for Gojo Bruin of Fansided and soon-to-be student at UT Austin. Hey, wait a second. That's a new job. Yep. I'm site editor of a site within Fansided now. Got promoted. Yeah, big stuff. That's awesome. So we both love sports, and it tends to bridge the gap between us, uh, the generations. Um, In this podcast, we discuss sports from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And a reminder, if you love the show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. So, Jason, last time we spoke um, on these airwaves, we were hopeful. Yeah. Weren't we hopeful that there was going to be baseball? Yeah. What is going on? No, they're going to play. I just don't know. I don't know how many games. I don't know when it's going to start. Nobody knows, but they're going to play. There's no doubt about it. Um, neither side can lose that much money. America needs baseball. Um, it, no, I, I don't. I don't buy into the into the doomsday scenario where the things aren't looking good or we've reached a new rock bottom. No, they're going to play. I don't know when. Um, probably likely an agreement within this week because both sides have to eventually realize that we need baseball. Um, they need to make money this year. So, um, no, they're going to play. I was a little surprised talking to some people who are big baseball fans, like in my family. My brothers are baseball coaches. We were sitting around talking. I was a little surprised that, so many people are starting to blame the players. I thought everybody was on the players' no, side. I, I don't. I, that that is by no means a popular side is to blame the players. Well, that, that's a that's a minority. I oh well, I think as I was saying, people that were talking about it, I was surprised to hear people talking about being on the owners' side in this one because they just everyone's losing money. Everybody is. How do you not blame either side? I don't blame the player. Well, I certainly am not on the side of the owners because you need to look at the overall pool of wealth. Every owner of a major league baseball team is worth over $500 million, come from wealthy families. If there is no season, the owners will take a hit this year, but their overall wealth is not going to take a hit. Whereas the players, some of which live year to year off their paychecks, um, are the ones that are taking hits. The minor, it's not, and it's not the big stars. It's not the Mike Trout's. It's not the Max Scherzer's. It's the players that are on rookie contracts. It's the players that are making the least amount of money that are going to have the biggest hit because all of these guys went into the year thinking that they make X amount of money because contracts in baseball are fully guaranteed. So it's not like basketball or football where when players map out the year financially, they take into account risks of injury, risks of getting caught. Baseball players know that they're making that amount of money this year, so you have players that have already made financial commitments, players that have rent that they have to pay. So the players are the ones that need to make the money. The owners would like to make money, but all 30 owners are going are gonna to be able to live comfortably next year, baseball or not. So you're saying the, the owners should be dipping into their own personal wealth 
in order no. for well that because listen you just said they are all billionaires they're not they're not they're, they're not all, the, so wait wait let here's the deal then if you're you have a business model right mm-hmm. you have to bring money in to pay all your employees so it's not just about the owner making money that's his business those players wouldn't have a team and the team wouldn't exist without the right, players right, right. But, right? Which is why everybody should be on the side of the players. Because without the owners, you can still feel the league. Without the players, you cannot feel the league. And the way that I look at it is the big talk is the revenue sharing and the prorated salaries. MLB players want their full prorated salaries, which I completely agree with. Because there's you can't you can always justify not getting paid for a game that didn't happen. But you cannot I cannot find a way to justify paying somebody seventy five percent of what they are signed off on contract to earn for that year um, because of extraneous circumstances. So the owners are the owners. There's going to be money going back to the teams, but what the owners need to do first is, and what they do, pandemic or non or not pandemic, is they pay all the team employees and then they make their profit. Mm-hmm. So the owners are going regardless. They're going to lose money. The players are going to lose money. Right. But it when it when both sides are for sure going to lose money, it comes down to who can afford to lose money and it will always be the owners because at the end of the day, the owners are still going to have money in their hands. Once they pay their, once they pay the employees, then whatever's left over is theirs. Regardless of how you cut it, that's going to be a deficit. They're not going to make money. So the players need to be the priority of making money. I'm 100% for the fully prorated salaries. Um, I just think that there needs to be conclusion soon. I'm surprised since your dad is a a business owner um, that you feel so strongly on the player's side. Um, I always tend to lean toward the owner's side just because we are a business-owned family. And I always try to look at that picture. Um, But... I, at this point, both sides will lose money. It's just a matter of who is going to lose the percentage that is uh, more detrimental to them. And like you said, that would be the players. So, Because the, the other thing you need to look at is the owners aren't putting themselves at risk by playing. The players are ones that are, putting, that are putting themselves and their families and their health at risk by playing. The owners just get to sit back and watch and, and build oh, a team. Oh, no, 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 no. They, do the, they don't just get to sit back. They put up the financial backing. They put up – it's it's a financial I'm ta- risk. I'm talking about how but – the, but the players are not putting themselves or their families at risk by having the season start. The players are the ones that are going to be out on the field, making contact with each other, putting themselves at risk to, to catch the virus, and their families as well. Families are allowed to beat the players. What about the owners? What if someone comes back and, and they sue an owner because they contract COVID-19 while playing a baseball game in their stadium, and they claim that that stadium wasn't clean enough or the facilities were not clean enough for them? Who takes that risk? The owner That does. would be a grievance against Major League Baseball. That wouldn't be, they would, that wouldn't be a lawsuit against the owners. Of course it could be. You can name anyone in the lawsuit. You you could list Major League well, Baseball, well, part, part the of, owners, part of the what's, Part of what's being discussed in starting baseball up again is having the players sign a risk waiver. There's no season without them signing a risk waiver. Because otherwise that would fall Which is on why the in order side. to sign the risk wa- ra- waiver, they want prorated salaries. Yeah. It's I just you know it's just sad I really I hate when there are labor disputes that stop sports you know it just takes away from so much that we've been talking about for the last three months about wanting sports back 
And, you know, the summer, this is about going to baseball games. This is where, you know, I would have given you, we were supposed to go to opening day. That was going yeah, to be, you know, sure. one of your gifts, going to opening day. Um, you know, this just, it just stinks for everyone all the way around. Um, coincidentally, in this episode, we want to talk about Father's Day, right? Typically, summer tradition. Here in the States, that's what we do. We go to baseball games. We have barbecues. Um, your dad will, will end up golfing, I'm quite sure, now that he can golf. Um, I, I'm just curious, as a young teenage man, what does Father's Day mean to you? Well, Father's Day, a typical Father's Day to me. Well, Father's Day always happens to follow my birthday or the weekend after my birthday. So Father's Day is about being with family, golfing, watching the Sox, watching whatever golf majors on and just really spending time with family. And it's always nice out on father's day. It seems so that mother's day gets all the hype, but father's day, <laughs> I think is more of like a father's, day, gets all the father's day is a little more enjoyable to me just because like I'm always golfing with dad. I'm always like, like we're out like doing stuff. Whereas mother's day is more of like a calm, like, thank you, mom, like type of thing. Okay. So mother's day, mom still makes dinner. Father's Day, Dad gets the whole day off. You didn't make dinner. You didn't make dinner this year because I've put my foot down. I've said enough of this. So so that that completely countered. You just said Mother's Day, Mom still makes dinner. You didn't make dinner this year. You ordered it from uh... because I put my foot down. You know why is Mother's Day supposed to be spent with family? Father's Day, Father's Day still spent with family. He gets the day off. Oh, you get to go with him to go to go golf. Let me just ask you this: Father's Day tradition. So many people love watching ball games with their dad. How much do you love watching a game with dad? Hilarious! (laughs) It is hilarious. I'm just going to go out of limb. I'm just going to go out of limb and say, (laughs) I think I could probably count the amount of baseball games that Dad watched before I started watching the White Sox on one hand. It's fun. Don't get me wrong, but you, you, you're in like the sixth inning, and you know an air is made. Ah, oh, come on! It's it's fun. It's fun. It's different. It's ridiculous. Yeah, oh, he ridiculous. sucks. I'm like, no, Dad. Actually, Moncada doesn't suck this year. He's hitting 320. <laughs> or uh, oh, how many homers does Abreu hit? Well, we're in the middle of May. He's only hit four this year. So it, it's so it's so what much a fun. bum. He's a bum. That guy's a bum. <laughs> oh my god, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's like watching football with him. That's even funnier because he gets up and he storms out of the room because you and I will look at each other and we'll just shake our heads and he'll go, oh, oh, sorry, you guys know more about football than I do. And he gets all upset and walks out. So he's also very, he's so pessimistic whenever he watches sports. <laughs> Anytime there's a close play, play, no, he's out. He's out. Nah, he swung in the check swing. Nah, he's short of the first down. It's, it's, it's fun though. I. I love it. So my, my dad wasn't a big sports fan. I mean, now he watches Cubs games. He lives in Wisconsin, moved out of Illinois. Smart man. And uh, <laughs> he lives in Wisconsin. And now he watches more uh, Cubs games. than. And he grew up right down, not far from yeah. Wrigley Field. But I remember more my grandfather's. So my grandfather, Scholes, Grandpa Scholes was a White Sox fan, Jason. And he was, I mean, he would have absolutely loved the fact that you are such a big Sox fan. He sat there and he, he watched all the games. Grandpa Kaczynski was a Cub fan. Yeah. And he watched every game. So when they got together, it was actually... It was funny to to watch them. I loved watching games with Grandpa Kaczynski, but he would say, why do you watch so much sports? I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to study it in college. And he'd say, well, no, nah, you're just going to college to get an um, MRS degree. That was, that was what my grandfather would say to me. Yeah. So those were my memories. 
But, you know, Father's Day, my dad raised 10 kids. He had three jobs. I, for, to me, Father's Day is where you really, you know, thank your father for the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, for us, we get to just make fun of dad a little bit for, for <laughs> the way for sure. he watches sports on TV. <laughs> um, lots of great father-son combinations in sports. Jason, who's your favorite? My favorite, uh, Peyton and oh, Eli Manning and Archie favorite. Manning. Archie Manning is just so accessible and such a, a nice man to be able to talk to about his kids. What about you? Who do you like? I'm going to say right now I'd probably have to go with LeBron and Bronny because... Really? Yeah. So ESPN released their 2023 top prospect rankings for basketball. Uh, Bronny's number 24, I believe. So um, it's really cool in like this new era. You get to see like LeBron's playing in LA. Bronny's playing for Sierra Canyon, which is arguably the best basketball program in the country um everybody talks about how they well someday like they're going to team up um it's just it's really interesting to see because right now like i feel like there aren't that many great like like sons in sports that who whose fathers were equally as great or comparable mm. in their greatness Ooh, right that's now. a good question um what about what about um tim hardaway jr i covered his dad tim hardaway jr plays for the he, mavericks he, he was good in college and made it to the championship with michigan but there there's no like truly great father-son duo right now so when i was coming up in sports it was the hulls the griffies the bonds that's what everybody, um, Ripkins, everybody would talk about them. Um, Howie and Chris and Kyle Long, mm-hmm. you know, we here in Chicago, um, Kyle Long, we got to cover him uh, with the Bears. Um, I always had a secret crush on his dad. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I know that makes you uncomfortable. And you know what has been really cool is we've heard from Michael Jordan's kids recently because of the last dance. Now, yeah. we never used to hear from them. So th- that's actually really been super cool. Um, so to all of the fathers out there, we wish all of you a Father's Day filled with fun and memories and happiness. So, Jason, we lost another great in the basketball world. Hall of Famer Jerry Sloan passed away over Memorial Day weekend from complications due to Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia. He played for the Bulls from 1966 to 76. Those were my prime years in grammar school, uh, going into high school, and coached the team while I was in high school from 78 to 82. Went to the Utah Jazz, retiring in 2011. He was the original Bull, and I am just so happy and honored to say that his daughter, Kathy Sloan Wood, is joining us here on the podcast. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us, and our condolences go out to you and your family. I know this can't be easy for you. Um, what's the last week been like for you since losing your dad? Uh, well, thanks for having me, Peggy. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's been, obviously, it's been a, a difficult week for us, but to be honest with you, he had you know, suffered from these diseases for five plus years and um, the last year being extremely difficult for him, uh, his wife, Tammy, and, and all of us. Um, and so I think, you know, selfishly, we're, we're glad that he's at peace and it's all over. You know, we, we lost a uh, hockey hall of famer, Stan Makita also to Louis body dementia and, it's um it's not a very fair disease. Um, it's very difficult, especially on family, isn't it? And it's made it a lot more difficult, especially with the COVID virus and 
um, us not being able to go see him. I was actually scheduled to go for a visit. I live in Indianapolis and to fly out there on March 13th. And this was literally like a week before they closed the whole country down. And we're not letting anybody, including his wife, go into the facility where he mm. was. That's been extremely difficult, you know, not knowing what his day-to-day life is without anybody. And, you know, we felt for everybody in there, all those people in there that could not, you know, have their loved ones around them while they're going through this was absolutely excruciating. So, mm. so we in Chicago remember your dad, Jerry Sloan, as a tenacious defender, just a, uh-huh. a scrappy, tenacious basketball player. What do you remember him as? Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, um, you know, growing up in North Brick, uh, you know, we would go to all of his home games and I had no interest in it, primarily because most of the time that um, that he was playing, the whole arena would stand up and you knew that when he, everybody stood up that he was in a fight with somebody and it made me absolutely <laughs> sick to my stomach. You know, I was like nine, 10, you know, all those years and you just didn't want to see your dad getting punched or him punching someone else and everybody screaming. And so it was, it was kind of rough until I actually started playing myself, um, you know, starting in high school. So yeah, it was, it was rough watching that. Sure, you watched the Last Dance documentary. If so, what were your takeaways, and especially what do you remember from the two series against the Jazz? Uh, yeah, we did watch the whole thing. Um, it was very well done. I thought, um, sort of painful watching it over again. So, <laughs> yeah, but your dad um, had the line of uh, of the episode um, asking, <laughs> "Oh, was that with the score or whatever?" I mean, it was the I best. Know. If people that don't know him and his weird humor really thought that he looked like a dunce and I'm like no you just don't understand his humor that's totally him and um yeah so that was that was kind of cool but uh yeah watching it over the second time was just as painful and um yeah I really didn't want to see it again (laughs) so your your boys watched it right how old are your boys and what was it like for them because they didn't really they're still fairly young so um I don't know how much they remember of their grandfather coaching and what was it like for that generation to be able to watch they loved it so I have a my oldest son is 22 then I have a middle that's 19 and then my youngest is 16 and um I mean we grew up, you know, those guys grew up from babies going to the jazz games and, you know, watching him throughout their whole childhood coach and, um, you know, learning the players, getting to know the players on a personal level. So that was that was extremely special for all three of them. And um, they won't forget it ever. They were very close to my dad. So it was good. Oh, thank goodness they had that. Um, what, yeah. what was he like? What was your dad like when you did decide to start playing basketball? And you had a really nice career, played college ball as well. And your brother being, you know, Mr. Basketball in Illinois, was your dad hands on? What, what was it like having him, you know, support you as uh, playing a sport that, that he excelled in? <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of cool that you asked that because, you know, people, well, looking at pr- parents nowadays, they can't keep their hands to themselves when it comes to their kids. Yeah. And they, you know, are total helicopter parents. And they want to be involved in everything. My dad was extreme opposite of that. He never, never encouraged us to play. 
never would offer his help unless we sought his help. But when he did, you better be able to take it. And he would be very critical of you. There were many a days that, you know, my brother and I would be in the driveway. We played against each other a lot. And there would be tears. There'd be blood. Um, there'd be <laughs> balls thrown at one another. Um, you know, and dad, when we played on the driveway, it was balls to the wall pretty much. And you better fought for your life. So, um, and the cool thing was, you know, people, my boys even look back and they say, mom, how did you get a D1, several D1 offers when you just picked up a ball as a freshman in high school. I never even knew how to play. I never went to any camp or anything. I, I just went to the tryout. I'm like, you know, hey, I'm six feet tall, blah, blah, blah. And um, I didn't even know what a zone defense was. And I was terrified the first game I was ever in. Because of him and his work ethic, and he showed me how to work hard in anything that I was able to really bust my butt and, and know what it took to earn a scholarship eventually. Well, so while on the topic of the work ethic, obviously your dad was known for his defense. So how did he sort of use that mentality on the court to be a leader at home and to teach you in things outside of just basketball? You know, like I said before, I mean, um, everything was don't work half ass. I hope I can say ass on this show. but It's anyways. a podcast. You can say anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's what I forgot. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we were doing our chores and um, he came in and inspected it, if it wasn't done, you know, the right way, he'd say, you know, go back and do it again. You did it half ass. And that carried over to everything that we did in sports and school, you know, whatever it was. And I was at home too. And I so appreciate that now. Mm. It was rough, you know, growing up and um, him being really rough on us because he wasn't home a lot. And so he played total bad cop when my mom was always a good cop. And, you know, you just learn to take direction and not make excuses and just do it right the first time. So you don't waste time. I mean, that was it in a nutshell with him. So He had that steely look that whether he was joking or whether he was serious, you couldn't always tell the difference. And you just yeah. were, it was like, uh, yeah, okay, okay. I, I told the story, Kathy, um, I have a picture sitting on my desk. I've had it on there um, forever. Um, when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school and I went to the Jerry Sloan basketball camp and he, we were at Angel Guardian Gym, and he calls, you know, we're all in a big semicircle, half court, and he calls everyone together. We're starting camp, and we're so in awe that the coach of the Bulls is having a camp for girls. I mean, this was <laughs> awesome. It was amazing. And he calls out Peggy Kaczynski. Where is she? And I raise my hand, and I'm all cocky, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. The coach of the Bulls knows me. He goes, Kaczynski, I read that you average 18 points a game. I said, yep, yeah, I do. And he goes, but you can't play a lick a defense and it was like oh my god I just froze and he sent me to the wall to do wall sits until my legs oh, were god. shaking until they were oh, shaking god. so yeah. I I have a picture from that camp I posted it on Facebook and all these people started commenting about they also went to the camp and a friend of mine <laughs> Rita went to the camp and she says, oh, gosh, I don't know if you saw this in this comment, but she goes, I remember we were in like a layup line drill and I'm standing in line looking at Jerry Sloan and I go, oh, he's so dreamy. And the girl behind me goes, 
Ew, that's my dad. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing just now. <laughs> that's so funny. So I can't oh even, I just can't even imagine, um, you know, now the limelight that, that children of, you know, NBA players, whether you're LeBron's kids or Michael Jordan's kids got, you know, uh, we, we saw and heard a lot from them after the last dance. In a way, you guys were a little bit lucky that it wasn't the limelight like it is today. Oh, totally. And, you know, that's, I think that's what I loved about the era that we grew up in. I mean, you know, we grew up in Northbrook on a very, very tight street. I mean, we're still friends with all of the people that are on our street. Um, And it was just regular day to day. And I'll give you an example. For instance, in the summertime when he was off, regular mailman would make his route so that he would be stopping at our house over his lunch break and he would pull it out, pull out his basketball shoes and <laughs> like all the neighbor kids, um, us, my dad, everybody would just, we'd play on the driveway until oh. that guy's lunch break was over. And that was just normal day to day. And he was just a regular guy. Um, even going back to his, you know, growing up in McLeansboro, um, he was just a farm guy, and he he stayed true to his roots until the day he passed away, and that's what I loved about him. Can you talk a little bit more about him being a hometown kind of guy, growing up in McLeansboro, and then going to a small school in the University of Evansville? How did that influence his career and his coaching style? Well, um, his his high school coaches were kind of the same way he was. You know, again, you worked hard or you, you didn't play, and you know, dad didn't have um, extreme jumping ability or, you know, uh, quickness or any of that stuff that natural athletes have. He just had to work extra hard to do what he did. So, you know, being from a very, very small town, I don't know if you guys knew this, but he actually originally went to the University of Illinois, which, as you can imagine, coming from, you know, a town of 1,500 people to that campus could be uh, very overwhelming. And he showed up with a brown paper bag with all of his belongings in it and quickly realized that this, you know, that wasn't the place for him. And so. Wow. I um, never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't last very long there, but um, yeah. So then, you know, he, um, uh, A-Rad McCutcheon, who was the coach at Evansville at the time, um, you know, had heard the grapevine that he wasn't happy there and um, offered him to come to Evansville to play and, Obviously, it was the best fit for him. You know, A-Rad was a no-nonsense guy, too. They did extremely well winning um, back-to-back uh, uh, D2 or NCAA 2. I don't know what they call it. NCAA 2. It used to be Division 2, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those coaches, the coaches have a big influence on people. I don't know if they really realize that, too. But those two guys really, you know, taught them how to work hard and what to expect from people. Um, to be fair, I think that is one thing that, you know, he really um, uh, had in his heart was just to be fair to people, tell them the truth. And he did that all the way through coaching Carl and John and, um, you know, all the guys that were on the jazz. I mean, that's, if you ask them, they would say that he was, he treated everybody fairly and um, expected the best of, of everybody, no matter who they were. Well, if, 
you know, the work ethic was so perfect for him to be a Chicago Bull in a city that really has always prided itself on blue collar and working hard. But what was it about the Jazz? That truly was a marriage made in heaven. I mean, they were, Jerry was meant to be with that organization. And to spend as long as he did there is just unheard of today. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. And, um, you know, his relationship with Frank Layden was, was what, you know, brought him there. And uh, the whole organization, top down, from, you know, the ownership to the ushers that worked at the arena to everybody in between, um, they all are very um, conservative style. They're not flashy, as you know. They didn't seek the limelight, which fits my dad perfectly. And they just had a hardworking mentality to do the right thing, you know, to be a good steward of the organization. And um, that encompassed him perfectly. So I think that's why he was able to last so long. Do you think that that attitude and coaching style is sort of like a lost art in basketball now because we see all these super teams and player-run teams and all the best teams in the NBA, it seems as if the players are the ones um, that are running the show, rather, back in the 90s when it was more of the coaches that had full control of the locker room and of the attitudes and, and of everything? Yeah, I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. That's why I don't I haven't watched an NBA game in years since my dad coached because of that. And um, it's a shame because I love basketball, and but I can't stand to watch um, these guys that are money hungry. They want the stardom. They also want to bring in their political views, which is just nasty to me. Um, and then the coach, how is he supposed to reel in those guys who make, you know, millions upon millions of dollars? And they can't. Um, Popovich is probably the only one right now that I know that that can do that. Um, but he's an oldie but a goodie also and, um, you know, had the same kind of philosophy as my dad. But, um, yeah, it's a shame. But the players are running the asylum in, on all these teams now. And, then you know, I don't know what the purpose of a coach is, to be honest, when they're calling plays and, you know, telling who to go in. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sad. I, I can only imagine the stories that we would hear um, this past week. Um, we have read a lot, and we, we've been hearing a lot of remembrances of your dad. And it's just so difficult that you're not able to have a memorial um, for so many uh-huh. of the people that he touched um, between Chicago and, and Utah and downstate and southern Illinois. Give us an idea of some of the people that you've heard from and any stories that you did not know that they told you. Oh my gosh, there are so many. And this is what, you know, my brother and sister and I were, were talking when we were out there out shortly after he passed. I'm like, you guys, I got 750 messages oh. from people I didn't know, people that I knew back in high school who went to my dad's camps, lots of those <laughs> girls, um, girls that I played against in high school, just tons. And my, my dad's wife had over 1500 messages and, you know, my brother and sister had hundreds and hundreds and you know, looking at Facebook, um, you know, from people that like these really cool stories that, you know, um, my, your dad, uh, came to one of my garage sales. I'll never forget this. Mm. And, you know, he bought such and such and he tried to bargain on it and he was the nicest man. I mean, he tried to bargain. you know, when, when you go through like people's Twitter and people really 
you know, uh, complimentary, but there's always people in there that go, yeah, he was a jerk or, <laughs> yeah. you know, he did this to me. There wasn't one, mm. not one comment that ever said he was, you know, a bad guy. And I, I, we've just been shocked and just so, um, so happy that people did get to see him, you know, for, for the person that he was. And, uh, you know, it just, it kind of eases their pain a little bit. So, so away from yeah. the celebrities like a John Stockton or a Carl Malone, you know, it was really the everyday people that he touched that really kind of sticks with you. Tell me about his antique collecting. I mean, everyone knew that he was a John Deere kind of guy, but I didn't realize that, like you said, he went to garage sales and uh, that's a man after my own heart. I mean, I am a garage sale woman. So what are so, what did he collect? What was his deal with uh, antiques? Oh my gosh. What did he not collect? Him and my mom were, um, well, they, uh, back when I was growing up, they, um, were antique dealers. My mom had a shop in, um, Prospect Heights and, uh, she and my dad had started doing, um, collecting, oh gosh, probably right when they were married. For instance, this one time he was on the road, he was actually playing for the Bulls and they were, I think Johnny Kerr was with him and they went to some flea market and dad, they, and he had studied antiques. So they knew what they were doing. They knew what was what and what was worth what. They went to some flea market somewhere and he came by somebody's booth and looked at this piece of pottery that was sitting there. It said Rookwood underneath it. And the guy wanted like $25 for it. And my dad's like, I'll give you 15. So the guy said, I'll take 20. So dad paid $20 for it, knowing that Brookwood was like worth thousands of dollars. Oh my gosh. There are so many stories like that. And one of my mom's favorite stories was that she uh, went to some garage sale in Salt Lake City and this lady had a basket of jewelry that it just said a dollar a piece. So she thought it was just a bunch of junk, but she went through that and found a three quarter diamond solitaire ring and paid a dollar for it. <laughs> Like it was worth a couple thousand too, but um, I mean, they collected dolls. They collected everything. I mean, when we lived in Northbrook, people would drive by and our garage was so packed that they thought we were having a garage sale (laughs) and they would come up to the, you know, the garage and my dad would be sitting there and they're like, Hey, when does the garage sale start? He's like, no, this is just my stuff. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, we had, in fact, that's what my brother and sister and I have to go down to McLean's World on Saturday to to try to clean out um, the last barn full of stuff. And he had probably six or seven barn fulls, like not mm. small barn, huge, big barns full of the stuff that they've collected over the years. And, oh, my gosh, it's so overwhelming. But that was their joy. That was their release. And, and they had fun doing it together. And, um, you know, that's that was just what he did. One last, one last question. What do you want people to remember about your dad? Not that he was a great coach, not that he was a great player, but that he was a great human being and um, he was friendly to everybody. And that's what I tell my kids. I say, if you took anything away from, from Papa's life, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that uh, no matter if you're um, talking to a waitress or you're talking to a maid that's cleaning your room or you're talking to the CEO of a company, you treat them all the same. You're friendly with them. You look them in the eye, say good morning, and you treat them all the same. 
no one is better than anybody else in this world. And uh, you have to remember that. That's Mm. what I love for people to take away from that. I love that. My dad was a janitor on weekends when I was in high school and he would say hello to everybody, no matter who they were, what they did. And as I grew up, my mom would say to me, you're just like your father. You say hello (laughs) to everybody. And I think, well, yeah, that's just kind of what we learned. So yeah, uh, it's just the best. Kathy Sloanwood, thank you so much for picking up the phone and joining us and sharing some really, really lovely and fun and refreshing memories of <laughs> of your dad, Jerry Sloan. It, it means the world to us. And I want to tell people, um, if you can, please, donations can be made to the Michael J. Fox Foundation in honor of Jerry Sloan. You can use his name. Kathy Sloanwood, thank you again. And I hope this Father's Day you smile and have fond memories. I think we will. I appreciate it, Peggy. You guys have a great day. Okay, Jason, it's time for your predictions from past, present, future, whatever you want. Okay, so I'm going to say that going back to the first thing we talked about, I think that there will be baseball this year. Actually, I'm positive that there will be baseball this year. I'm going to say it's anywhere from 50 to 70 games starting in the middle of July, ending around end of September. Um, There's going to be baseball this year. Fans in the seats somewhere. I know Texas has up to 50% in the crowd now. Um, so the Astros and Rangers should have fans in the seats. I'm sure some other ballparks will as well. Um, but there will be baseball. Um, secondly, NBA announced a return starting July 31st in Orlando. I'm going to say that the uh, Los Angeles Clippers are going to win the championship again. I think that very mature team, um, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, um, durable, built to last in a tournament setting. Um, so I'm going to stick to my original prediction at the start of the year and say the Clippers are going to win the championship. And then finally, Father's Day related, I'm going to say sometime this summer I'm going to beat Dad. 18 holes at Medina. Ooh, I don't know about that. That'll be interesting. My final thought is this. Some of you have already read about um, this on social media on my Facebook page. Um, you can check out uh, on our um, sportscasterandersun.com. But on Facebook and Twitter, I had recently told the story about the great Jerry Sloan. I was a high school student when he was coaching the Chicago Bulls. The original Bull had went from playing to coaching, first to have his number retired in the rafters at the old Chicago Stadium. And uh, it was amazing that he actually had a basketball camp for girls when he was the coach of the Chicago Bulls. I mean, can you imagine that today, head coaches in the NBA doing this? No, right? So I was thrilled to go to his camp. And uh, he called me out in front of the entire camp. He had us all in a big circle, as we talked about with um, Kathy, and, you know, yes, he, he gave me a hard time about uh, scoring 18 points a game, but could not uh, play de- defense. And from him, I learned how to play defense. But I also learned that when I would see him 20 years later, he never forgot who I was, whether it was when I was in college at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale or when I was covering the Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz uh, for NBC in Chicago. He always remembered me. You don't always get a second chance to make a good first impression, and Jerry Sloan didn't need one. In Coach Sloan's obituary, they use his favorite quote from the great American sports writer, Grantland Rice. For when the one great scorer comes to write against your name, 
He writes not that you won or lost, but how you played the game. And you played it as hard as one could to the end. Coach Sloan, rest in peace. Your work is done. I'd like to thank Coach Sloan's daughter, Kathy Sloan Wood, for joining us on the show today. And remember, donations can be made to the Michael J. Fox Foundation in her father, Jerry Sloan's name. Thanks to Adam Yaffe for his amazing support and expertise in driving this podcast, artwork, and logo designed by Shea Canander. Please subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscast and Her Son, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Radio.com, and wherever you listen. And if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. You can find my stories on Fansided. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and thesportscasterandherson.com. Thank you for listening. Happy Father's Day, everyone. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.